Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, Dr. Titus Kennedy is back with more of the latest archaeological finds from the land of the Bible that affirm the authenticity of God's Word. Our first event of the new year is just over a month away, February 16th and 17th in the Tampa Bay, Florida area. Donald Perkins will answer the question, Is America in Bible Prophecy? The latest details on the march toward a one-world system will be revealed. Biblical mysteries will be uncovered. And you'll learn how to have true spiritual victory in the invisible war on the saints. Biblical artifacts from Israel will be on display with an archaeologist ready to answer your questions. Tickets for this special event are free, but seating is limited. Don't be left behind. Register today. Friday and Saturday, February 16th and 17th at Hicks Road Baptist Church. Call 1-800-652-1144 for more information or visit the events page at swrc.com. Here's Clayton Van Huss and Titus Kennedy with today's look at the latest archaeological finds from the land of the Bible. We're glad to have you on the Watchman on the Wall program today. I'm your host again, Clayton Van Huss, and we are talking today with Dr. Titus Kennedy, the author of Essential Archaeological Guide to Bible Lands. Uncovering Biblical Sites of the Ancient Near East and Mediterranean World, as well as some other books. And I've, Dr. Kennedy, I've read your other books. They're always a joy. So this one delves deep. I'm pretty excited about it. Can you tell us a little bit about the area where you're specializing right now? What are you studying? Well, I have been focusing on the late Bronze Age and also the Roman period, especially around the, the first century. But now with a new project, I am going back in time a bit, and I'm starting to explore the early Bronze Age a bit more. Okay, so the early Bronze Age. Now, what does that mean to the layperson? When was that? The early Bronze Age depends on who you talk to, but roughly the dates are around 3200 to 2000 BC. So it covers quite an expansive period of time. Essentially, this would be just before the time of Abraham, going all the way back to the earliest civilization. Okay, so basically we're looking at maybe Genesis chapter 10 all the way through the time of Abraham. Right, you're, you're looking at things like perhaps the Babel, Tower of Babel story and the Table of Nations, and then the establishment of these, these different cultures and nations all the way until you get to the time of Abraham and Ur. So it covers a lot of time chronologically, but there's not a whole lot written about that period in the Bible. Sure. What is written is interesting. So with the current trends, the current ideas, hypotheses, things like that, do people, archaeologists, generally agree or disagree with the Scriptures? And as a Christian, how should, I, how should I look at this era? Well, archaeologists generally disagree with the Bible in terms of what it says being historical, or at least their view is that the Bible is not a reliable historical source. They may not have even really looked at things in detail. That's just the general view and assumption in academia. But as far as this early Bronze Age goes, there are some very interesting correlations publications that have been written about this in the past by archaeologists and, and some ancient historians 
have shown that the table of nations idea that we get in Genesis does seem to be reflected by the early civilizations in these different regions and the radiation, if you will, out from southern Mesopotamia. So we have the earliest cities there in southern Mesopotamia, places like Uruk, and then you have people moving out from there and establishing new colonies and new civilizations. These all seem to follow the big cities in Mesopotamia. That is fascinating. We have these expansions that are coming out from certain sites. So we look at this and we we ask ourselves questions. Does this match up with the Bible? How do we connect a biblical event with something that we find either in the archaeological record or that is recorded in another historical source? How do we look and connect the pieces between those? First of all, we have to look at the biblical narrative and we have to see where is this taking place specifically, what city or town or other geographic marker, when is that taking place, and at least approximately we need to know when. And the Bible does give us a lot of chronological markers. And then we need to see specifically what is stated as happening in that text or or the people that are mentioned. And then we can look archaeologically or in an ancient historical text for that time, that place, that event, or that person. And we can test to see if those correlations do, in fact, exist, if this external evidence does corroborate the biblical narrative. Sometimes we, we may not find a yes or no answer. We may just not have the data, you know, insufficient data. Other times we will see, ah, yes, this city existed at that time. It was destroyed. Or, yes, this king was in that city at that time. Or there was this great battle between these two empires. Things like that, you know, that we can test through the archaeological record or through ancient historical manuscripts. Yeah, we do have an issue. I've, I've heard an old saying that wherever you have two archaeologists, you have three opinions. So we don't always agree with one another on things like where a site was or when exactly this thing took place. How do I know, as someone, as a Christian who's interested in the history of the Bible, how do I know who to listen to? Who's got it right? Who's got it wrong? Or, or what? The first thing I would say is that conclusions often differ, but the data should remain the same. So I would encourage people to focus on the data. That is, the things that are actually found or the things that are actually stated in an ancient text, because people can conclude erroneously or, or they can insert certain assumptions that change that. But we should all be in agreement on the data. And we really should be in agreement on interpretational methods, although that is often the core of the problem, interpretational methods. And that's where the differing conclusions come out from. So I think one of the best, clearest, and most debated dating issues in the Bible is is going to be on the Exodus conquest period. I mean, of course, there are debates on things like 
the crucifixion of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, but those are usually very, very small margins, you know, a few years. With the Exodus conquest, uh, besides the debate over did these events happen or is it legend with some sort of historical event or is it just myth, we have within the kind of historical camp, we have different views on when this occurred. And we've got to start from our primary text on the Exodus and conquest, which of course are going to be books like Exodus and Joshua. The Bible, as I said before, gives us a lot of chronological markers. The main passage that people go to when looking at the Exodus is 1 Kings 6.1, because it gives us a chronological marker from when Solomon started the temple in the fourth year of his reign back to the time when the Israelites came out of Egypt, the Exodus, and it says it's the the 480th year since that happened. So that's usually the the issue that's talked about. There are a couple of other passages that connect to that. There's Judges 11:26, where we get 300 years from the time of Jephthah until the the settlement or the conquest, and then of course you have to factor in the 40-year wilderness wandering. Uh, we've got another passage in First Chronicles 6 that gives the genealogy, and you can. You can kind of extrapolate from that. But the main one, then, is going to be that First Kings 6 one. So our data is not changing. Once again, there's, there's nothing in that verse that would cause someone to say, no, 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 the verse actually has this number. Okay, the data is the same, so how do the conclusions differ? And here's where it comes back to the method of interpretation. So just like when you're excavating a site, and some archaeologists are going to have a different methodology or method of interpretation. People are having differing methods for how they are interpreting what an ancient text says. And specifically, this one is about the dedication of a temple, and we could even say in in the capital city. Some scholars have made the claim that this type of text, the temple dedication text, uses symbolic numbers, when it has a big number like that, you know, 480th, 479 years, they say that it's uh, symbolic, and that other texts like that have the same, but but that's absolutely false. There's the study that I've been working on that will be published soon that looks at all the instances of temple dedication texts in the ancient Near East with long duration years, a big year chunk in between and an earlier event and the dedication of the temple. And in all of them where we're able to look at the chronological data, they are using real solar years, and they are astonishingly accurate for how long those durations are. And so if we're looking at this dedication of Solomon in the context of what other people in the time period are doing, then we should also be looking at that as solar years that they have calculated. So 479 elapsed years, and that then puts the Exodus around 1446 BC. And you know, in keeping with your your an earlier question you posed, well then that's a time, a general time period we can look for evidence for the Exodus. Of course, we can do that another time period that people want to propose that, but we need specific in order to look at a specific time and place. That is fascinating. I really like what you said. I may have to quote you sometime on how we should all agree on the data. 
And of course, archaeology is not a hard science. It's softer in that we add art to that. You, you pull in the data and then you have to interpret it. And you're right, that's where we disagree oftentimes with other scientists is on, on the interpretation. As this relates to the Bible, you know, we see that the reasons that there are debates, that there are disagreements on things that we find by Bible-believing archaeologists, let me ask you about your book. Who did you write this book for, this essential guide to Bible lands? Is this for scholars only, or can I, just as a, a guy in the church, can I read this and get something out of it? This book has a couple of audiences, I would say. It may be less of a general audience than my book, Unearthing the Bible, but it's certainly able to be understood by non-experts. It's just that people will really have to want to sit down and read about these different sites and cities and, and put some thought into it because, you know, the entries are not just one or two pages. And there is some complex information in there, but I didn't use confusing terminology and, and make assumptions that it was scholars who were reading this and they're going to know all the background. I would say students, people who are enthusiasts of archaeology, and, and even scholars, can all read this book and find it as a useful resource. Uh, now, somebody who's not really into archaeology or history, they're probably going to have a rough time with the book. It's going to seem a little boring to them or too in-depth. But I wrote it for people who really have a deep interest in the archaeology of the Bible and, and who want to get into the depth of that in terms of the, these sites and these major cities more. Yeah, that's something I've noticed in this, is that there's a lot more information. You mentioned your book, Unearthing the Bible, which was great. That's just, you know, little bite-sized pieces tied to artifacts, whereas this, there's much more information. There's, there's a lot to, to look at, to absorb. But, you know, I don't find it difficult. I find it, if you're interested in the Bible, if you're interested in the historicity of it, the stuff that you've put into this book is understandable, is digestible. And it gives you all sorts of information that can be used when discussing the Bible. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, I try. I tried my best to make it clear and concise without leaving out important information. And so I'm, I'm hoping that people who are really interested in the subject, they're going to be able to get through it and find it understandable and interesting. Yeah. How does this understanding, all this information that you've put in this book on different sites. I mean, we're looking at everything like we talked about in the last program. We're going from Mesopotamia. We're going into the Holy Land. We're looking at Old and New Testament. We're looking at Egypt. We're looking uh, northward up into uh, the areas of the Hittites and, and maybe, you know, where different things in the Bible that we read about and say, who is this? How are these things going to help me as a Christian layperson? I would come back to those two categories that we talked about previously. So the first is that so much of this material demonstrates the historical reliability aspect. People who have questions about whether the Bible is a trustworthy source, they can look at this external evidence and they can see how it has been confirmed in many different 
passages, narratives, places, people, etc. The second is going to be on enhancing our understanding, illuminating the Bible, so to speak, by allowing us to know what the historical context is better so that we can read it as hopefully as it was intended and to understand it in its ancient historical context, give us a better method of interpretation and in some cases even to help us with translation of some difficult word or passage where where archaeology might illuminate that. Dr. Kennedy, we've talked about biblical archaeology. We've talked about your work in the field of biblical archaeology. We've got you here, a real archaeologist. You're studied, you're trained, but also you are an adjunct professor at Biola University. Biola is known for its apologetics programs. How will your book help me as a Christian apologist, as someone who's trying to have a case for what I believe, how is your book going to fit into that aspect of my Christian life? Well, I would hope that the book, first of all, would be a source of learning some new information that applies to biblical apologetics, and then secondarily, as a resource to go back and consult if you come across a question that you don't immediately know the answer to. It might be about one of these cities, one of these locations, and you can go back and look that up or, or even give it to someone who has a lot of questions about the historicity of the Bible that might get some of them answered from reading a book like this. Yeah, so I think one of the interesting things in apologetics is that you don't always have to have that answer on hand. It's okay to say, you know what, I I don't know. And your book is an excellent resource to go back and to look into. But you mentioned something that I had not thought of. You said a gift, maybe to someone who has questions. Is your book the sort of book that could be used by the skeptic, that could be used to enlighten the skeptic? I do think so. Actually, all Three of my books on biblical archaeology I wrote with that in mind to write it in such a way, use, use language in such a way that it would be something that a seeker, so to speak, could use. Someone skeptical but not hostile necessarily. So they've, they've got to be open to learning some information. But I didn't write in such a way that it's only going to be understandable by Christians or that it only talks about things from a Christian perspective. I try to be a bit more neutral in many ways and just present the evidence. Yes, I draw conclusions, but I also try to let the reader draw their conclusions based on the evidence that's presented in the book. Yeah, that is great. So you hear that? The book, The Essential Archaeological Guide to Bible Lands, Uncovering Biblical Sites of the Ancient Near East and Mediterranean World. It helps to put the Bible into a historical, cultural, geographic context. I love that. Let me ask you another quick question here, just on the fly. You talk about a lot of sites in this book. Personally, what's your favorite site in the Holy Land or in Bible lands? My favorite site in the Holy Land is probably Jerusalem because it is so instrumental and such a centerpiece 
in biblical history, of course, in many different periods. And so there are many, many extremely important discoveries there, but I think many yet to be discovered, and there's a lot to see. So that's probably my favorite site overall, but I've got a few other favorites outside of that, places that I really like to visit, enjoy, or the archaeology and the history there is so interesting, you know, places like Philippi or Sinai or Amman, Malta even. So I've got a lot of different sites that I I have as secondary favorites. Sure, I, I understand how that is. You You find a place and you just fall in love with it. And the biblical context of these sites is is amazing. What we're seeing here is the Bible took place in real places during real times and involved real people. Dr. Kennedy, we thank you so much for joining us today. Do you have any final word you would give to uh, to our listeners who are thinking about this topic and they're interested in learning more? I would say that. This is one of the the most important topics in the realm of apologetics, biblical archaeology, because we've got a lot of hard physical evidence there. But it's also really useful for enhancing our own understanding of the Bible. And I would encourage you to investigate biblical archaeology. and, And if you don't find all the answers, I would say keep waiting because archaeology continues to progress and discover new things. So If something hasn't been found yet, don't let that be uh, discouraging, because in many cases, as we've seen in the past, these things that we're looking for are eventually found. Well, thank you very much. We've been talking today with Dr. Titus Kennedy, author of the book, The Essential Archaeological Guide to Bible Lands. Thank you for listening to Watchmen on the Wall today. I'm your host, Clayton Van Huss. Today, our resource spotlight is on the excellent book, The Essential Archaeological Guide to Bible Lands, by Dr. Titus Kennedy. The Essential Archaeological Guide to Bible Lands offers the most geographically extensive overview of archaeological sites from all of the regions relevant to the biblical narratives. With information from excavations and research both old and new, this thorough guide from archaeologist and professor Dr. Titus Kennedy will inform and encourage. This 480-page hardback book includes over 200 full-color photos that show ancient ruins and bring the Bible to life. Order the Essential Archaeological Guide to Bible Lands today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. You can also order on our website, swrc.com. This book includes expert research and analysis of archaeological evidence that illuminates and corroborates historical narratives of the Bible. The Essential Archaeological Guide to Bible Lands, 1-800-652-1144. Our host, Dr. Larry Spargimino, is here now with an important moment of prophecy. Titus chapter 2, verse 13, says that we are to be looking for, quote, that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Aside from that being a good proof text for the authority and preeminence of Jesus Christ, it tells us of the blessed hope. We have a blessed hope, not a blasted hope. There are two kinds of hope. One kind of hope is a hope-so hope. 
I hope my supervisor will recognize my years of hard work and give me that promotion that we were speaking about. Or, I hope that the economy improves. That's a hope-so hope. There's no guarantee that the economy will ever improve. Or, I hope that there will be peace in the world. Not much chance of that. The nations of the world are gearing up for some kind of a huge war that will be far worse than any other. But the blessed hope is a no-so hope, a special hope, a guaranteed hope. Why is the blessed hope a no-so kind of hope? Because God guarantees it. We are to be looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. God would never deceive us. He would never tell us to look for something that he does not plan to bring about. When Jesus comes back for us, that is our blessed hope. 1 Thessalonians 4:13 through 18 is one of the very important rapture passages in the Bible. Everyone who believes the Bible will believe what this passage says. It says that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back for his people, whether they have already died or are still alive. Christians who have already died will rise first, and then Christians who are alive at that time will be caught up into the sky. We will meet the Lord in the air, and we will be with the Lord forever and ever. You know, for the last 20 centuries, pastors have been reading 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 at memorial services. Verse 18 says that we are to comfort one another with these words. It is very sad that some Christians miss the plain, simple, straightforward meaning of this wonderful text. We unfortunately get into big arguments about the scheduling of the rapture and relationship to other prophetic events. But if you believe the Bible, you will believe these words. I want to say it again. If you believe the Bible, if you're born again, you will believe these words concerning the rapture. 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 10 says that we are to wait for, quote, his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come, close quotes. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 9 is similar, for God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Christians are to be involved in a rescue operation, flee the wrath to come we are to warn people. The love of God is a wonderful teaching of the Bible. That love was demonstrated on Calvary's cross. But friends, God has a multifaceted personality. God is love, but God has never canceled the attribute of divine justice. He has just put it on hold for a while. One day, perhaps very soon, justice, divine justice, will be displayed with unbelievable fury. So we must warn you, flee the wrath to come. The Essential Archaeological Guide to Bible Lands will aid in your search for answers, serving as a travel guide and a resource for investigating the context and historicity of the Bible while vicariously visiting many ancient biblical locations. Order the Essential Archaeological Guide to Bible Lands today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. You can also order on our website, swrc.com. Lord willing, we'll be back here Monday, ready to once again bring clarity to the chaos. Head into the weekend with the encouragement 
that God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.